Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for your mercy. We're thankful that uh, even as we were reminded that it is new every morning. And we ask God that you would help us to live in light of that. And also to reflect your character to those around us by showing mercy. We pray that you would empower us by your spirit to that end. We pray as well that you would be with our our time in Sunday school this morning. As we look at some more one another commands, we ask God that you would give us ability again by your spirit to be able to, to walk out and live according to these commands that you have given to us. We're thankful for the example of Jesus that he has given to us, that he has modeled for us, what he expects from us. And so we pray that we would be faithful representations of who you are and that we would live for your glory in all of this. Be with our time. May our discussions be sweet and encouraging and beneficial uh, to us, to our lives, and to uh, the life of this church. We're thankful and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there, there are some definite connections from what we discussed this morning in the sermon to what I would like to cover in our time together today. Um... We had set out last week to discuss two one another's, but we only got to one, which is fine. Uh, But there was definitely some carryover from what we discussed last week um, to what we will discuss today. So I wanted to start with just a brief review um, so that you could uh, make the step that I'm making, I guess. And also, I, I... said it the first week that I taught um, that I'm recording our Sunday school classes and putting them out on a podcast. If you would like to have access to that podcast, uh, you can, and I can get you the link. It is now available on iTunes. So that and $1.25 will get you a cup of coffee, I guess, but... Uh, if you would like that, if you miss a week or whatever it may be, you can listen. I don't think it picks up the conversation that we have, but I try to repeat uh, because I try to repeat anyway so that everybody can hear what we're saying. But anyway, <clears throat> last week we covered First Peter chapter 5, verse 5, which states, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We were from there going to step into Romans 14 because it, I think it leads nicely into that, uh, but that's what we're going to do this week instead. And so to review, I want to connect how I think they are, um, how Romans 14 follows 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Last week we said that because God values humility, it's something that we should pursue. One of the ways that we 
do that is by, like the example Jesus gave us in John 13 of washing the disciples' feet that most likely Peter was referencing when he used the phrase, clothe yourselves. Much like that example of Jesus, we are to put on the garment of a slave. In order order for us to do that, we must be willing to take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on others as we seek to serve them for God's glory. You and I need to be able to do this, and it starts with admitting our need to Him and then continues by seeing God rightly. If we see God for who He is, high and lifted up, think Isaiah 6, the train of His robe fills the temple. When we see God rightly, we are humbled and then able to serve others like Jesus as more significant than ourselves. So this this process, the donning of the slave garment in order to humbly serve, admitting our need before God, keeping our eyes focused on the greatness of God so that we see ourselves rightly, all of those things, none of them are easy. But I think... We're going to make it even just a little bit harder as we look at Romans chapter 14. So if you've not already turned to Romans chapter 14, feel free to do so. And I want to read, um, I want to read verses 1 through 19 because the one another command that we're looking at... Hey, Craig. Hey. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> the one another command, I, I really enjoy giving Craig a hard time, just so you're aware, and it's It's mutual. We, we have that kind of relationship, I suppose. I'm looking forward to your input. I told you to study up, did you? Yeah, I, yeah, I he did. did. I read, yeah. Okay. But also, it's sort of somewhat of a getting back at me, right? Well, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Um, so, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 19. The, the one another command that we're looking at comes in the middle, almost. It's a little bit towards the end. Uh, of a section that is... I don't want to use the word controversial. And, and it's, it's, not, it's not that God's word is controversial, but, but it, it causes controversy between believers because it's this idea of Christian freedom. And so we're going to look at the one another command. You'll have to spot it as I read it. So let's start in verse 1 of Romans chapter 14 and read all the way through 19. It says this, As for the one who is weak in the faith... Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. 
For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the living, the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, do not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. There's a lot in those 19 verses. But did anything stick out to you as interesting or maybe something you're not quite sure of? An observation you'd like to make of the text? Anything you'd like to share? Craig! Baffling to me is um, in okay. It's talking about maybe giving up what we call our rights to kind of. It's not worth you know kind of keep peace and anyway. But then then in verse sixteen it says therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. To me, it seems like a little bit of a contradiction of what, because you're giving up what somebody is, or mm-hmm. you know, kind of talked about or talked to about giving up what you think is good because that person thinks what you're doing is not <clears throat> right. Okay, so Craig is asking. I don't have the verse numbers in front of me. Sixteen is the one that where he, he says, uh, "By what you eat." Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So you're looking at the passage as a whole and that verse specifically, where it seems as if the passage is saying you need to be willing to give up your preferences for the sake of a brother. But then this verse says... Um, don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Yeah. Okay. Well, what do you think? How do you, how do you put those two things together? Well, that's why I'm asking you because God has given, gifted you with <laughs> I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts, though. Anyone, sure. I don't either. It's all right. I don't see anything with one another anywhere except maybe in verse 19 
Yeah, it's verse 13. Yeah, the one another command is verse 13, though. The one that we're looking at in particular. Yeah. Okay. Kimber. So, I also noticed in the NASB, uh-huh. verse 19 is, So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So, there's the one another in the NASB. Mm-hmm. But also in 13, okay. not to judge one another. Okay. So in 16, is it basically saying, you know, like, give up your, give up maybe what your, your preference is so that it's not even an issue. Does that make sense? I, I think so. So <clears throat> um, Craig is seeking to answer his own question here, where um, the passage is speaking of being willing to give up preferences that we have and then in, you said that's 16 so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil so Paul is almost it seems trying to make the giving up of our preferences a non-issue where, where we should have such willingness and, and we'll get to this a little bit more that, that our community our, our bond of being in Christ together uh, should be so strong and we should have such a willingness to serve one another that even, even the preferences that we hold strongly, if, if that is offending a brother or sister, it, it should be a non-issue that we're just so willing to say, uh, for the sake of the unity of the body of Christ, I'm going to give this up. And, and it, shouldn't, it shouldn't get to the point where I think possibly what could be going on here is um, and believe it or not, arguments do happen over these sort of things. Where instead of a willingness to give it up, there's an argument that ensues. And I also want to talk about that a little bit, because I don't think there, that this is saying we can't have the hard conversations. We should have the hard conversations. But we don't need to fight about it. And, and specifically, specifically what I mean by fight is we don't need to be divided over our preferences. Does that help? Yeah, thank you. Jim? Uh, last week, first week of July, mm-hmm. uh, did we go through the subject to be subject to one another or not? I think we did. Okay, we did. But we did. Uh, you remember how you taught the class on how to teach? Sure. Well, you mentioned how to make sure you ask who, what, when, where, and why. Yeah. So, I think we did. We, we looked at the context of who 1 Peter 5 is addressing. That it was elders uh, to start off. Then it was younger. And then it was all of you be subject to one another. And so the, the who in 1 Peter 5 was to be uh, addressing everyone. Everyone who claims the name of Christ. Does that help? Yes, because that, that was, yeah, we, because the, the command is to be humble. So that's what we were talking about. But, if, yeah, we can, we can have that conversation. Okay. Okay. 
So in, in our passage this week, as I said, there is a lot. And so I want to... Uh, okay, I don't, I don't want to spend all of the time talking. And if at all possible, it would be great to get through both of the commands today because, they, again, they follow. They connect to one another. But if not... It's not going to be the end of the world. So, <clears throat> the subject matter I think that we're discussing has a little bit of sensitivity to it. Um, preferences. We all have preferences, right? And, and some of those preferences we hold rather closely, and, and maybe even rather tight-fistedly. Where if somebody disagrees with my preference... Well, they're not as good of a Christian as I am. Or, or whatever it may be. That's probably a bit extreme. And so I, I, want to, I want to dive into this passage a little bit and explain a little bit of what's going on, but, but please feel free to interject. I, I have some questions interspersed throughout for discussion, but if there's further question, uh, we can talk about that as well. So in, in the passage... Romans 14, 1 to 19, there are, there are two groups of people that are mentioned. There's one explicitly, the weak, and then implicitly, the strong. And there's a difference that exists between these two groups of people. What's the difference? To eat or drink. To eat or drink. And, and more specifically, opinions. On, on whether or not it is right to eat or drink. Luke. What's the difference between preference and conscience? <laughs> if you ask me a question and I ask you a question, this is for both of you, you can't ask me another question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not surprised. <laughs> okay, so... I, I think, I think that conscience leads to preference. Preference is a consequence of conscience, where you, you have the conscience, which I think could be maybe described as a... Um, it's something that you come to, a decision, whatever, through some sort of reasoned process, whether it's research, information, whatever... Um, specifically in the Christian realm, that there is the, the Holy Spirit who guides. And obviously we have to look at the Word of God to help develop our conscience. We educate our conscience. There's a great book. Well, well let me rephrase that. There's a book, and the first two chapters are great. <clears throat> Everything else could have been a blog post. Um, by Andy Nacelli called Conscience. And it focuses specifically on some of these matters where how are Christians to interact when there's different consciences bumping up against one another. You can check that out. Um, it's good. So, so there's these two groups of people who have differing opinions over vegetables. Has anyone disagreed over vegetables before? <laughs> Aaron, is this... Is this is the Different, does the differing, differing opinions come mm -hmm. from the cultural 
expectations were some of these things offered to idols or something or you know like i'm trying to figure yeah. out why they would argue about this it's a little bit different than what paul's addressing in first corinthians with the food sacrifice to idols but it's it's i think i think what comes from there is similar line of reasoning and so paul is addressing jews and gentiles and and, and so we will get to this um the conflict exists over whether or not a Christian must keep kosher. And if you don't know what kosher is, it means following the Levitical food laws. Specifically, if a Jewish Christian must continue keeping kosher in order to remain faithful. And so Paul is writing to Jewish Christians who think, in order to remain faithful, I must follow the Levitical food laws. But then he's also writing to Gentiles who were never under those Levitical food laws and saying, you guys disagree. And the conflict uh, ensues from this, apparently, because Paul's addressing it. Uh, And I think we need to keep in mind that Romans 14 follows on the heels of Romans 13. Deep insight for the day right there. And Paul, in Romans 13 is instructing Christians to fulfill the law through love. As it says in verse 10. He's making the point that the law of love is the way Christians put on Christ and put off the flesh. As it notes in verse 14. And then enter vegetables. Enter remaining kosher. Now, Romans 14 is coming up in the preaching schedule here shortly. Um, So I want to leave much of the heavy work to Pastor Tim to unpack all of that for us. But what I think Paul is saying is that the weaker brother in this situation, those who think they can eat only vegetables because of the Old Testament law, those who think that they must keep kosher, they are the weaker brother that Paul is addressing. And they are thinking that the law is still required for the Christian, or we could say their conscience is captive to the law. They see the expression of faithfulness as remaining bound to the food laws. There are much deeper matters that we could get into there. But the question is over the application and remaining requirement of the Mosaic Covenant and the law that God has given to us in that covenant, and what we are supposed to do in light of it. So even even in the sermon this morning, we were touching on portions of the Mosaic Covenant. Exodus 19-24, through when Moses goes up Mount Sinai. And what does he come down with? Ten Commandments. So God is making a covenant with His people, And saying, this is the covenant that we're entering into. The way that you remain faithful to this covenant is by following the Ten Commandments. Sorry, they were over the right shoulder. Following the Ten Commandments. And so Paul is is writing to these two groups of people who are disagreeing over how the Mosaic Covenant affects the life of a Christian. He seems to be saying 
that Christ fulfilled the law, therefore our conscience has been freed from the law because we are under a new covenant. And the covenantal obligations of the previous covenant have passed away. This means then that for the Christian, our law is love. And love requires of us that that we are focused on others. And so again, much like 1 Peter 5.5, our eyes must be others-focused, not self-focused. Paul's command here applies specifically to matters of opinion. And that is matters that are not specifically spelled out in Scripture as sinful. So when we, when we read about judgments, he's not saying that that judgment is determining whether a person is saved or not. As much as some of us may dislike vegetables, they're not sinful. We can partake of vegetables sinfully, whether it be in attitude or in quantity, Vegetables can lead to sin, but inherently, vegetables are morally neutral. <laughs> Except asparagus, apparently. Yes. We're talking about vegetables, but you're, like, you're saying that the original text is talking about being kosher. So wouldn't that be that if you're a regenerate believer, you're going back and saying that the crisis is sufficient to the old law? So isn't that more of a sin issue than, yeah, just the preference of vegetables or hair color or something like that? That is a good question. So, so Luke is asking <clears throat> if in, in, within this group of people who are um, remaining kosher, that if they are seeking, and if I'm putting words in your mouth, let me know. If they are seeking to add to the sacrifice of Christ by following the law in order to gain right standing with God. I don't, think that's, I don't think that's what they're doing. So in, in, in what Paul is addressing, he's speaking specifically to people who all they knew was the law. They would follow the law, they would live in light of the law, uh, and then they are converted. They see, oh, Jesus is the Messiah that we've been expecting, the one to whom the law points. And I don't, I don't think he's addressing so much Uh, whether or not these people are following the law in order to be saved, but these people are following the law as a matter of conscience because they're saying, God gave us this law, it's good law, and we should remain under this law. Not as a a way of, of acquiring righteousness, but as a way of living Faithfully walking in a worthy uh, in a manner worthy of the Lord. Craig, did you have something to say? It looked like you had something to say. Oh yeah. Um, <coughs> no, I was just thinking like when it's sort of a similar. I think it might be a similar situation mm-hmm. where Paul opposes Peter in Galatians because he's kind of wishy-washy in yeah. the way he's working with the Gentiles and and acting like a Jew. Yeah. Remember that? I do remember that. <laughs> so I don't know, I'm not trying to get you off point here, but it's fine. Yeah, so Paul addresses Peter's hypocrisy of um, in Galatians. Do you remember what chapter that is? It's um, two eleven. 
Galatians 2.11, uh, not quite the same situation, um, but, yeah, I don't know. Did I, did I answer your question? No, I didn't. I said they're not following the law to be righteous. Right. But then wouldn't there have to be an education of conscience, not submitting to them? We didn't get there yet. Oh, yeah. There is. There, there is meant to be an education of conscience, and I, I think that's what the rest of the New Testament goes on to do to show us how Christians are to interact with the law. So, yeah. Jim. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, as Christians, our interactions are not to be based on things that don't matter. Food is one of those things. Our, our relationships are to be based on deeper realities. And when there is disagreement on those other things that don't matter, we have to defer to what does matter, and that is that we are united together in Christ. I find interesting that, that Paul, in, in Romans 14, is not addressing the correctness of one view over the other. But rather, he's addressing the attitudes of Christians with differing views. Paul's point is not primarily to persuade the weaker Christian of the correct view, but to tell us how to interact when we disagree about how we are called to live as Christians. In this situation, we're not to judge. And judge is a bit of a buzzword today. So we need to consider what Paul means. Um, could, <laughs> does anyone want to give me an example of what he doesn't mean by judge? Matt. So, I've been kind of contemplating this for probably years too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in this, you know, he's saying you gotta love your brother, right? Implying that if you don't, you're wrong. So, like, it's not a, it's not a, to me, it seems to be not a judgment of like what's right and wrong. We all have to do that. You have to be discerning. Mm-hmm. But it, it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, he means so he's not a real believer. Mm-hmm. He's gone to hell. Yeah. Like that kind of judgment, I think, is so. Yeah, so you're saying what he is telling us not to do is um, see someone who is eating or not eating and based on that say, well, they must not be a Christian. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Other thoughts? Tim? Yeah. That's exactly where I wanted to go. And I in in understanding what he means about by the word judgment. Uh, I agree entirely with both Matt and Tim where where 
We are told that we are to judge with right judgment. As Tim just brought up, we are to remove the speck from someone else's eye. Um, What did I just say? We are not to remove the speck from someone else's eye. We We can't be hypocritical in our judgment. If we're looking at someone and saying, oh, you've got this little speck. I, I saw it illustrated one time as a, a toothpick and a two-by-four. If you've got the toothpick, uh, if they've got the toothpick in your eye and you've got the two-by-four, you're not supposed to go up to them and say, hey, let me help you take that toothpick out. You're supposed to deal with yourself first. Luke. So bring back the context. Please. So if you're eating kosher, uh-huh. I'm saying, well, dang, Aaron, you're not safe here, so you're kosher. Yeah. That's, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, that would be like that. Yeah, it, it would be similar uh, to that where um, you calling me out for being kosher, but then also following other Old Testament laws. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Matt, did you, have, or was that Hannah? Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. She, does she have anything to add? <laughs> she agrees. All right. <laughs> She's on the right track. <laughs> Nurture and admonition of the Lord right there. Um, <clears throat> so... What Paul is saying is not that we are just to, to completely back away from any sort of judgment. And, and uh, judgment in, in today's society is the cardinal vice. Whatever you do, don't judge. Well, what about the places in Scripture that tell us to judge? And so, in, in those places... We are to, I think, we have to come to a right understanding of what judgment is, what specifically Paul is saying not to do, but then what are we supposed to do in judging others? Can you read that for us? Okay. So how does that how does that explain that further? What you're saying about not to judge. Yeah. Right. And so I, th- I think the definition of judgment that we could just simply state is, is arbitrating between two things. So eating, not eating. You're making a judgment on that. But what I, what I think Paul is condemning here is being judgmental. And that is specifically looking down at someone for what they are doing or not doing. If we are to be controlled by the law of love, as First Corinthians, as um, Romans thirteen lays out, then when we face different viewpoints, we can still love one another, and it's not going to be uh, looking at someone and saying, "Well, you do this or you don't do this." And because of that, I think you're less than me. That's what Paul is, is condemning. There's a little bit of a play on words that's not readily apparent in the English. If it were, if it were translated from the Greek in a, a, a way that would show this, it would read like this. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another, but rather let this be your judgment. As... Um, Jim just read this verse. Stop passing judgment on one another. Rather, let this be your judgment. Namely, 
that you should not put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Judgment is a judicial process by which you determine the guilt or innocence of a person. It's a decision that leads to a conclusion. And in this case, the conclusion is not only whether the person is right or wrong, but it's leading to you or me treating that person differently based on the fact of whether or not you think they are right or wrong. And specifically, you are treating them less than yourself because you think they're wrong. Yeah? It does, in verse 10, it does seem to also be connected, like passing judgment. It's in the context of the brother, like brother and sister in the scene, right? Mm-hmm. It also seems to be connected to despising, like the decision to despise. Okay. Like if that judgment leads to yeah. like despising, like yeah. that's a rift right there. Yeah. And then, and then I think the idea, even go, like the idea, is that um, that that is for God to decide. Yeah. Right? The judgment, we all stand before the judgment seat of God, mm-hmm. and every knee will bow. So you're all on the same level. Right. Yeah, that's that's good insight. So judgment should not lead to despising, and and again, it comes back to as Jared was just bringing out that uh, in the eyes of God, we all stand on the same ground. And, and so that's how we need to, to treat one another. Brianna. Yeah, I was just going to agree with what Jared said, that for some reason, like today, we feel that if we disagree on any particular conviction, mm-hmm. that it then gives us the right to actually dislike people and, yeah. like, like he said, despise right. people who disagree with our own personal conviction. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think what, and to sum up what Brianna's saying, in line with what, I, what I'm moving towards, if, if we look at someone who has different convictions from us and say, oh, I just don't like them, well then, you're wrong. And, and that's what's being condemned here. And, and, and to the point where, if you're saying, oh, I just don't like that person, and you're not experiencing the unity that you share in Christ because of differing convictions, I think the only thing that should come from that is repentance. Yeah. Um, so, I'm going to be intentionally vague here. Okay. So, we went to visit, Ange and I went to visit someone who um, had a, uh, went to a church that had the conviction that the guys wear pants only, no shorts, and women wear skirts only. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I could have gone in with an attitude yeah. and worn my shorts in my Christian liberty right. and offended 90% of the people in that church. Yeah. Um, you know, so, of course, we made the decision we're going to kind of fit in. Yep. Um, but it was, you know, it was a blessing to us. We would have missed out on the fellowship of the believers mm-hmm. that were truly believers. Yeah.
Yeah. Does anybody need me to repeat and sum that up? Shorts versus pants. Yes, go ahead. Well, uh, just in what Matt was saying then, in verse 19, Matt and Angeline were pursuing mm. that which made for peace. Yep. For the building Mutual of one living. another. Yeah. So it's like, you know, like, stop looking for the thing that you might disagree with mm -hmm. and making a big deal of it. But what can you pursue? And pursue to me is like a bigger word than just, you mm -hmm. know, it's a, a stronger word. It's something you're going to really set your mind to. You're going to pursue, you know, that which makes for peace and the building up of one another. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that is, that is the job of, <clears throat> of all of us to be willing to give up whatever preference we might hold for the sake of peace and mutual upbuilding. Elva. Yeah. 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 Another great question. Okay. Matt. So, if, if it were the case that it was, it, it, there is a clear expectation that you as a man, when you show up to worship on Sunday, you will wear pants. If you don't, it's not just simply an offense between brothers, but it's, it's an offense to God. And because of that, you will be judged for an eternity. What would you do in that situation? Sure. Wise, yeah. 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 So, I, Elva, I do think that is, it's similar, but it's also different enough where we could take the same approach and, as Matt is saying, wear pants to, be, to have a platform in, in this situation that we've contrived here. But, um, yeah, and, and so <clears throat> in, in that situation, we can... We can gain entry by following whatever laws they might have added, uh, but then seek gentle correction in that situation. So it is, it is a little bit different, 
but similar enough that I think it is worth addressing. But as Matt said, if that's the case, probably shouldn't join that church. Yes. Apparently a lot of people have something to say on that. I saw Luke's hand first. Kosher. Yes. Um, like, what is the main point? Like, so what? In, in his context of saying that. Yeah, we're getting there. Um, yeah. So basically, all that to say, you don't treat someone less than yourself because of these preferential differences. That's that's the so what. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let it become something that you treat them poorly because, Jim. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> well, you you have you've put a toothpick in your eye, I suppose. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, did somebody else have thoughts on Craig? Of course. Um, Go ahead. A, a couple things to see if I can make them any make these work. Okay. Um, I'll help. One thing I remember being involved in a situation where um, there may have been harmony, but the real issues were not addressed. Mm-hmm. So I remember somebody quoting somebody that said, harmony can be an enemy of the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I'm also, okay, thinking of that, I'm also thinking we're supposed to speak the truth in love. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I just, you know, sometimes the truth yeah, it needs to be expressed. Yeah. But um, but then again, love. But also, um, I think before we would do that, we need to be kind of immersed in prayer and have the right heart mm-hmm. um, to address something that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 in all of this, <coughs> I, I'm not advocating for uh, silent preferences so that there's no no possibility of division. I don't think that's possible. Um, we need to be able to, to, as Craig is saying, speak the truth in love, and that is going to sometimes require confrontational, uncomfortable conversations about differing preferences. And that's okay. I mean... You can look a brother or sister in the eye and say, you know, I, I, I disagree. Or I, I come to a different conclusion without saying, you think differently than me and you're wrong. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
everyone else has the same preference as me. Right. So I think by having a, an embedded preference is almost dangerous in itself on these open hand maps. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, so what, what should guide all of this is the law of love. So we, as Christians, are under a new covenant. And, and this is specifically in relation to what Paul is addressing in Romans 14. The old covenant law does not apply to Christians in the same way that it did under the old covenant. So even Pastor Tim was preaching this morning, when Jesus mentions in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, he shows the law of love by no means lowers the bar for what's expected of Christians. Actually, it raises the bar. So for instance, he says, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say unto you, anyone who has lusted after a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He does the same thing with anger and murder. It's a crucial step for us to take as Jesus shows the intention of the law. The law was never merely about what you looked like on the outside. Since, since all it could do was provide external pressure. That's kind of what it became in, in this instance in, in Romans 14. That there's, there's those who are thinking... I need to look like I'm still following the law externally without worrying about what's going on in the inside. The intention of the law was to point to Jesus, the one who would fulfill the law. And so as Jesus speaks the message in the Sermon on the Mount in the hearing of many, He's showing them what is required of the people of God when the law is no longer merely external pressure, but internal indwelling, internal empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant is empowering those whom He indwells to live according to the intention of the law. Which means the bar has been raised quite a bit. And and what undergirds what Paul commands in Romans 14.13 is this law of love. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit to live faithfully as a Christian. What Paul means to happen in the context of a local church with believers of varying degrees of of maturity is that we would exist together and love one another. The stronger have the responsibility of bearing with the weaker and working to preventing putting any sort of stumbling blocks in front of them. The weaker have the responsibility of educating their conscience so that they can become stronger. But in the meantime, and and I think that's where we're at, in the meantime, all must live according to the law of love, which takes our eyes off of ourselves and puts them on to others. So in matters of opinions, Christians can disagree without calling into question the faithfulness of a brother or sister. The difficulty is if you disagree with a brother or sister, the difficulty is thinking with sober judgment about who is the stronger and who is the weaker. Because I think, if we're honest, 
Oftentimes, no matter what the case is, it's more natural to say, well, I'm the stronger here, so they have the responsibility of educating their conscience to come to my conclusion so that we can be unified. Instead of deliberating on which you are, how about instead be quick to lay aside whatever freedom you might have in Christ for the sake of a brother or sister? Are you able to eat meat that the Old Covenant has declared unclean, but you're inviting a brother or sister over for dinner who can't? Well, don't force the meat upon them. (laughs) Eat vegetables. The goal of this command that that Paul gives in Romans 14.13 is unity in the church. And unity is kind of a big deal. John 17, for instance. Do you know that Jesus is still to this day interceding on behalf of the church that we would be unified? So instead of Clinging to a preference. Be quick to give it up so that we can experience and walk in that unity. Craig Keener said it this way, precisely because foods do not matter, one should be willing to forego eating them for the sake of what does matter, preserving the unity of the body of Christ. Paul is not telling Gentiles to keep kosher, but he is telling them not to try to talk the Jewish Christians out of doing so. In order for us to do that, I think it requires a close-knit community. We need to know what pricks the conscience of our brothers and sisters so that we can quickly and willingly give up any preferences that would prick their conscience. If you're aware of something that you do that pricks the conscience of a brother or sister in Christ, give it up for their sake. The way you dress, the words you use, the food you eat, what you drink, what you don't drink, how you spend your time, so on and so forth. There are so many things that we could put into that category. If any of those put at stake the unity of the body of Christ... You are responsible to walk in love and pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. It doesn't mean we can't have the difficult conversations, but it does mean that we're not focused on ourselves, but rather we have decided never to put a stumbling block in front of a brother or sister. The law of love raises the bar and is to be our motivating factor in the relationships that we have with one another. And so may we live according to the law of love. Uh, Thoughts, questions, we've got four minutes. And we've got one more one another command to get through, so keep them brief. Verse 19? No. It'll be Hebrews 10. Yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> Craig? Um, I'm just thinking that how a church body of believers should be a 
safe place to be able to dispute <coughs> mm -hmm. and talk about these things because yep. we could be doing it out of a, a love yeah. for one another. Um, but also was reminded of John 17, Jesus's prayer of what will draw, I mean, what will show the world the evidence that he came and, yeah. and exists. And yeah, um, I'm going to take that a little bit further. The prayer that Jesus prays in John 17, I think, is one of the uh, one of the church's best evangelistic strategies that is so easily just cast aside. Um, they will know we are his disciples by our love one for another. Uh, and so the world is watching. They're watching how we interact with one another. And if we're filled with, with judgment towards one another, that's the picture, A, that they're going to have of us because that's what we are, but B, what they're going to have of God. And so in our interactions with one another, we should seek to rightly picture God to the world. And I think that's what unity does for us. Yes, you, you've got 30 seconds. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Okay. Okay, so I, I'm not going to argue semantics. Is it, is it the fact that there is a fence that is taking place? Um, so like if, if, I, if I made you aware of that, if I said, you know what, Angeline, it really offends me that you wear pants instead of a dress, what should your reaction be? He says checkmate over here. <laughs> I, I think that, so I think you should be willing to, but there needs to be the conversation that takes place uh, because there, there's the weaker brother. And, and if that person is looking at you and saying, you're less of a Christian than me because of how you dress, then there should be some consideration to that. I don't think we can just blow past that and say, well, I'm free in Christ and you need to deal with it. Right? So, that, so there, needs to be, there needs to be something that, that comes from that situation. And does that absolutely necessitate that you wear a dress instead of pants? No. Um, so maybe I was a little too um, black and white with my conclusion. That's probably the case. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 